So this uh, sermon today uh, um, basically came out of a question that Emma uh, Ferguson asked. And remember earlier in the year when we began our series on Genesis, we invited anyone who had a question uh, to send them in uh, to, let us, to let us know so that we could address them. And turns out that we only had one question and it's a beauty. And it's the title of our sermon today, Does God Even Exist? And so thanks, uh, Emma, for sending that in. It's, uh, I think it's a beauty because it's a question that we've all asked ourselves at one point or another in our lives, isn't it? It's a question that's common for all of humanity. And the reason why uh, we ask ourselves this question every now and then is because uh, there's a question behind the question a lot of the time. And I can remember going through a real bad time in my life. And I asked that question then. And I actually, I actually asked God, do you, are you there? Do you, are you actually there? Do you really care about me? Or have I fallen off your radar? So, um, yeah, often there's a, there's a question behind this question. And maybe we'll, we'll look at a possible uh, question behind this question today. So I'll let you know when we come to that. Now, um, because I think Emma's nine years old, please correct me if I'm wrong, Emma, um, but I'm going to try and do my best to make uh, this talk as easy to understand as possible. And part of doing that is I'm going to start with some basic definitions. So the first definition is uh, theist. A theist is someone who believes that God exists. Okay, so that's a theist. An atheist that's an A in front of the theist. An atheist is someone who doesn't believe that God exists. The third definition is agnostic. An agnostic is someone who's not sure if God exists. Uh, now God, <laughs> there are many different uh, religions and, and they believe totally different things about who and what God is. And I haven't got time to go into all those different religions at the moment, so... I'm just going to go with God as being God of the Bible, God our Father, uh, and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the last definition is a theory. Uh, a theory is an idea that explains something. Okay, so there's just some definitions before we start to make sure that you know what I mean. So the first thing to understand about this question is that it's very old. In fact, uh, people have been debating whether God exists for thousands of years. Uh, and back then, there were a few people that didn't believe that God exists, but most people thought that there were a whole lot of gods who argued and fought each other all the time. Uh, so the idea of just one God who wasn't fighting anyone was quite a novel, novel idea. <clears throat> and the, the debates continue up until our time. And in 1948, which is quite a long time ago, um, a famous atheist called Bertrand Russell and a less famous Christian guy called Frederick Cobbleston deba debated this very question, does God exist? And you might want to know who won. Well, most people thought that Bertrand Russell, the atheist, won because the Christian guy couldn't point to any independent scientific evidence for his belief in a creator God. And then on the 50th anniversary of that debate, so that was 1998, 
There was another debate between a Christian philosopher called William Lane Craig and another atheist guy called Anthony Flew. And this had a quite a different outcome. The reason for this, so in other words, um, the general belief was that the Christian guy won the debate. And the reason for this is that scientists had changed what they believed about the universe and how likely life was to exist on other planets. So to start with today, we're going to look at some of these scientific discoveries and see what light they shed on this question of does God exist? So the first thing that came to light was what was called the Big Bang. Now, just a step backwards a hundred years ago or so, so early last century, scientists generally accepted a theory of the universe, an idea that explained uh, our world, called the steady state model. And they thought that our universe had always existed. So in other words, the universe had no beginning and no end in time. Now, if that was true, uh, if the universe had no beginning, then the very first verse in the Bible was wrong, isn't it? Because the very first verse in the Bible said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if that's wrong, if the very first verse in the Bible is wrong, then we could probably forget about the rest of it. So that was the general uh, belief at the time, that the universe didn't have a beginning. It just it had always existed, and therefore we didn't need anything to explain it. So we didn't need God. But then some scientists began to discover some things that didn't fit so well with this theory. And that's something that's really important to understand about science. It's always open to new things. So if you find something that doesn't fit with your theory, then you have to change your theory. So what was this new evidence? Well, in 1929, a guy called Edwin Hubble measured the wavelength of red light from a distant galaxy, and he found that it was different to red light that we see on Earth. There was a red light shift. The light from the distant galaxy was longer than what we see on Earth. Now, I won't go into too much detail about all of that, but basically what that red light shift meant was that the distant galaxies are moving away from us. And the farther these galaxies are away from us, the faster they're going away from us. So, and we're talking fast here. We're talking like Auckland to Wellington in one second. So imagine if you could travel that fast. That's how fast these galaxies are moving away from us. And the same thing happens in an explosion, doesn't it? Things move away from each other real fast. And some guy decided to call it the Big Bang, and that stuck. And by working backwards, so if we reversed that, that uh, outward uh, movement and we all bring it back together, uh, scientists calculate that when everything in the universe was in one point, it was 13.8 billion years ago. So that's, <laughs> that's a long, long time. But the point of all this was that the universe had a beginning. Just like Genesis said. And then scientists began to find out more and more evidence that lined up with the Big Bang. And by the, the end of last century, there weren't many scientists who didn't think that the Big Bang was correct. So that was the important thing that happened in that debate. William Lane Craig could say the universe had a beginning. And what caused that beginning? You couldn't just say it had always happened, so we didn't need God. And the interesting thing is the writer of Genesis, whoever wrote Genesis, 
probably Moses, knew that thousands of, he knew that thousands of years before the scientists did. And so what caused the universe to go bang? Scientists, they say, oh, it just did. We don't know, because they can only use maths to go back in time until the Big Bang started and no further. So if the universe had a creation point, then it probably had a creator. After all, things just don't go bang for no reason, do they? Creations don't just happen out of nothing. And this is an important piece of evidence that points to God existing. If he doesn't exist, what made the Big Bang go bang? Now some people say, well, who made God then? And the answer to this question is that if something didn't have a beginning, you don't have to explain where it came from. And as far as we know, and we only know this from the Bible, God is eternal, which means he didn't have a beginning, so we don't have to explain, or try to explain, where he came from. So the answer to this question is, nobody made God, God has always been there. And it's the same reasoning why some, some of those scientists didn't want the steady state model to be found to be not correct. Because if the universe had already always existed, and nobody had to explain where it came from. So it's the same logic, but applied to God. So that's the first piece of evidence. There was a beginning, and it started with a big bang. Now the second piece of evidence is called the fine-tuning argument. So scientists have found uh, that our universe seems like it's fine-tuned for life. And in the past 20 years, also, many scientists have, have agreed that there's a bunch, the, the bunch of laws that govern the universe look like they have been fine-tuned for life. In other words, they're balanced on a knife edge, and this knife edge is very, very, very fine. If any one of these things had been different by only a very, very tiny amount, then we wouldn't be having this talk. So here's one example. We're all familiar with gravity, right? When we fall and we hit some, something, we know that um, physical bodies attract each other and our earth is no different and it attracts us to our earth and without it, life wouldn't be very flash. But occasionally, uh, when we fall over, we've, we experience the effects of gravity. Now, turns out that if the strength of gravity was different by just one part in 10 to the power of 60, so that's one with 60 zeros after it, there would be no stars and galaxies. A tiny bit stronger, and all the matter would have collapsed in on itself after the Big Bang. And a tiny bit weaker, and all the stuff that was in the universe would have just spread out too quickly for anything to form. Now, how big a number is one with 60 zeros after it? It's big. It's real big. Let's just say it's bigger, it's a lot bigger, than trying to find one grain of sand in all the sand of the beaches of the world. You can imagine how much sand there is on all the beaches of the world. It's like finding one grain of sand in amongst all that beach. Well, it's actually way bigger than that. <laughs> That's how big that number is. So that's just one example, and there's many more. So the fine-tuning argument says, why is it that there's so many of these key things that seem to be so finely tuned? How did that happen? Why, why is it like that? There must be a fine-tuner. There must be someone super intelligent 
that created all these conditions just right for us to be able to have this talk today. Now some people say, well we're here, so that one chance must have happened. But I think if you're going to believe that, you're effectively saying, I don't care how small the probability gets of us being here, I'm not going to accept any evidence like this that God might exist. Well, it seems to me that folks who say this don't want God to exist, but that's a whole other question, so I won't go there. The point is, last year some scientists at the University of Oxford calculated that there is a possibility between 39 and 85% that humans are alone in the universe. Okay, so up to 85% chance that humans are alone in the universe and that our, our Milky Way galaxy, the possibility gets even less, between 53 and 99.6%. So if we're alone, so, so let, let me just say humans being intelligent life, there might be some little microbes out there, that's why they're looking for, for little microbes or evidence of life on Mars and things like that. But intelligent life, the chance that other intelligent life exists, there's a very, very good chance that we're alone. And if we're alone, if there's no other, imagine how big the universe is and all the trillions of trillions of planets. If we're alone, you've got to ask, how did we get here? Perhaps it's because God wanted us here. But there's an even bigger question here. How is it possible that we can even figure this all out? How is the universe governed by these laws that, that we can figure out that there was a beginning and there's all these things that are fine-tuned? That's a question that freaked out a very brainy scientist called Albert Einstein. And he said this, The eternal mystery of the world is its comprehensibility. The fact that it is comprehensible is a miracle. So Albert Einstein said the fact that we can even figure this all out is itself a miracle. So that's the fine-tuning uh, argument. And then there's a life from non-life problem. So this, this is the third thing, the third point. Scientists have shown that our Earth is quite old, about four and a half billion years old or so. And the further back in time you look through all the sediments and, and in the earth, because things die and they get buried in the earth, if you go back in time, uh, then things get simpler and simpler in form, until about 3.7 billion years ago, you can find these very earliest forms of life or evidence for them. And they're very like simple bacteria and stuff like that, simple microbes. And this means that at some point, in our history of the of planet Earth, life had to come from non-life. In other words, living things like us had to come from non-living stuff like water and dirt. How did that happen? Well, scientists don't know. They have no idea. Despite all the advances in science over the last few hundred years, science scientists have still no idea how that happened. And in all the experiments and laboratories and stuff, they haven't been able to do it again. Now, I'm a scientist, and I know that science depends on uh, being able to make something happen again and again. If you've got a problem, and you need to figure it out until you can replicate it. It's called making it happen again and again. 
And until you can do that, you can't say with any confidence that you understand how and why something happens. So it's really amazing how confident some people are that life just happened by itself. If you've got no idea how it happened, and you can't do it again in a lab, how can you be confident that it just happened by itself? And some people again just say, well, it just did. Well, I think a better explanation is that there's someone very intelligent and they decided, God decided, that he wanted life to happen. So that's the third piece of evidence, life from non-life. The fourth problem is the DNA problem. Now, many of us will know that life is controlled by very small but very complex strands of things called proteins called DNA. Now, DNA is pretty amazing. In fact, Bill Gates, famous guy Bill Gates, said DNA is like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software ever created. Now, we know well, these computers that we're using now, they're pretty amazing, aren't they? And the software that runs it, that's the computer programs that enable us to have this discussion now, They've been created by very intelligent people over a long period of time. And they're only getting better because more intelligent people are putting all that information there. So that information is coming from intelligent people creating this all this information and putting it in a computer program. Now the point is that Bill Gates' company, which is called Microsoft, has been developing its software for more than 40 years. And there's been, you imagine all the hours that have gone into making the Microsoft software. There's been probably hundreds of thousands of hours of intelligent input going into that software. But Bill said it's far, far less advanced than DNA. So the question is, where did all the information in DNA come from? Is it really possible that it just happened? Is that a really good explanation of the amazing things that the information that DNA has? Is it really possible that it came with no intelligent input at all? Wow, that's that's a big a big thing. So the fifth issue, the fifth line of evidence, and there's there's a bunch of others, but I'll stop here. The last one we'll talk about today is the consciousness problem. The last thing we'll look at uh, today, so the problem of consciousness. Now we know that we are conscious, well, some of the time anyway, which means that we are aware of ourselves and the world we live in. But how did we become conscious? In other words, we know at some point in the distant past, life became more and more complicated until it woke up. But no one really knows what waking up means or how it comes about. No one really knows how things become conscious. Does consciousness come from the brain? No one can say. In fact, one scientist said this in, the, in a book that I've just been reading. So he says, does consciousness come from the brain? And his answer was, the only certainty here is that anyone who thinks they can answer this question with certainty has to be wrong. I'll say that again. Does consciousness come from the brain? Well, the only certainty here is that anyone who thinks they can answer this question with certainty has to be wrong. Now that's a pretty astounding thing for a scientist 
to say, isn't it? So no one knows really what consciousness is or how it happens. So those are five things that say that life is so virtually impossible that it points to there being someone who made it all happen. It seems impossible that we should even be having this meeting today, but here we are. So science has made lots of advances and, and, and being able to have this talk on Zoom is one of them. But it's a long way from showing how, uh, how any of the things that we've talked about today could have just happened by itself. And like I say, most people that I've seen when I've looked at the internet, they just say, well, it just did because we're here. I think that's not a very good explanation. So it's a bit strange that some people say we don't need God anymore because science can explain it all. Well, we've just seen that science can't explain it all. In fact, it's a long way from explaining it all. And some people uh, think that our society is run by people who don't want God to exist. And these are agnostics. So again, a reminder, agnostic is someone who's not sure whether God exists. So he's, he, he's not sure. But he said this, and his name is called David Belinsky. And this is what he wrote. Has anyone provided proof of God's inexistence? Not even close. Has quantum cosmology explained the emergence of the universe or why it is here? Not even close. Have our sciences explained why our universe seems to be fine-tuned to allow for the existence of life? Not even close. Are physicists and biologists willing to believe in anything so long as, as it is not religious thought? Close enough. Has rationalism and moral thought provided us with an understanding of what is good, what is right, what is moral? Not close enough. Has secularism been in the terrible 20th century been a force for good? Not even close to being close. Is there a narrow and oppressive orthodoxy in the sciences? Close enough. Does anything in the sciences or, the, or their philosophy justify the claim that religious belief is irrational? Not even in the ballpark. Is scientific atheism a frivolous exercise in intellectual contempt? Dead on. Now there's quite a few big words in there. <clears throat> but what he's saying is the question does God even exist is not actually quite the right question to be asking. And I'll see if I can explain why. Imagine that Sarah and I took the kids to the local stream, the Cunny Funny Fast stream, just down the road for a picnic. And after the picnic I decided to go for a walk in the stream. And as I do, I see a perfectly round rock. <clears throat> about as big as a volleyball. So I pick it up and I, I wipe it off, wipe all the, the dirt and muck off it. And incredibly, it looks perfectly round. And I show it to Sarah and, and she says, wow, that's amazing. It must have just rolled down the stream and, and become that way, just through rolling down the stream. And I might say, really? That's very unlikely. I'm going to give it to the university to check it out. So I take it to the university and I ask them to see how round it is. And after a week or so, they send me back an email saying that the rock is actually perfectly round to within the limits of detection of their measuring devices. So I show the email to Sarah and I say, look at this. This stone is perfectly round. 
it would be virtually impossible for that to happen by just natural processes. I think a craftsman, somebody, made that stone and somehow lost it in the stream. And Sarah says, does your craftsman even exist? Well, it's not quite the right question, is it? The question is, how did a perfectly round stone end up in the stream? And today we've been thinking about our universe and about ourselves, and the question for us is the same. Only the probability of us having this discussion is much, much less likely than finding a perfectly round rock in a stream. So how did this amazingly complex, beautiful, incredible, and at the same time sometimes horrible world come about? <clears throat> That's the question. That's the question for everyone who exists. Every human being has to come up, has to deal with this question. And we have two answers. Either it just happened, or there's an intelligent person who we have called God who made it all happen. Those are our two options. We have seen that the likelihood, the chances of option one, like it just happened, is very, very, very low. So low, in fact, that it's actually becoming more and more reasonable to think that someone intelligent actually made it all happen. But now we come to the question behind the question. And I think maybe this is the, the reason why many of us have asked ourselves whether God exists. If there is such an intelligent somebody, where is he, or she, or it? If they exist, why have they hidden themselves? It's almost like they've created this amazing universe and then gone on holiday somewhere. Where have they gone? And are they coming back? <laughs> why can't we go and talk to them face to face? Why can't we text them? How cool would it be to text God some a question and then get a text back from God saying, hey, well, this is what's going on here. That would be great. But we can't send God a text, can we? He probably doesn't even have a phone. And if, they, if, if God is so intelligent, why is our world in such a mess? Well, the wonderful thing is, it turns out there's once a man who walked the earth, who claimed that he was the eternal God. It was he who created all things, everything. He created them for himself. His name was Jesus, and he said he was the word of God. In other words, everything God wanted to say to us in a person. But there's been lots of people that claim to be God, and they can't all be right, can they? So what evidence, what independent evidence have we got to say that Jesus was any different? Well, first up, he died on a Roman cross. And then three days later, his disciples said he had risen from the dead. No one produced his body. And to this day, his body has never been found. So you've got to ask, why? How is that possible? If the Romans had it, they would have just said, no, no, here he is. But they didn't. And his disciples went on to spread Jesus' message that he loved and died for all people. And even they ended up getting killed for it, like being crucified upside down. So you got to say, if they had hidden Jesus' body, why would you then go and get crucified upside down for it? There's no way that anyone would do that. It means that they, they would be lying about something, but who would die for a lie? Nobody. And the, the crazy thing is, three centuries later, 300 years later, his church that he founded became the official belief of the empire that crucified him. It, it, his church took over Rome. 
the Roman Empire, and all this without the use of violence. Well, the Roman Empire did a lot of violence to Christians in the early days, but they responded with love. An amazing, amazing thing. So that's the first thing. Where's Jesus' body? Maybe he actually did rise from the dead. But there's more. There's a historian called Tom Holland, and he doesn't follow Jesus yet, but he recently wrote a book called Dominion. And in that book he wrote that Jesus coming into our world was like an earthquake that turned the thinking of the ancient world upside down. It was so much so that everything that we value in our society today we can pretty much thank Jesus for. This is what he wrote, and remember he's not a Christian, he's a historian. Now take the idea of human rights. These, these values underpin our whole society, don't they? For example, we have a health system that treats every sick person, no matter who they are or where they're from. And we do this because we believe that every human being has rights, including the right to be treated when they're sick, to be looked after. Where did these rights come from? Did they just happen? Well, the good thing about this question is that we know they didn't just happen. And Tom Holland says that uh, they came from Jesus. You see, in the ancient world, individual people didn't have rights unless they were rich and powerful. Slavery was common, and slaves had no rights at all. A slave owner in Rome could abuse or kill a slave, and no one would care. And in some nations, like ancient Sparta, which is in Greece, if babies were born with any type of physical defect, they were thrown on a rubbish dump outside the city and left to die. In other words, people like babies uh, born with defects and people like slaves had no rights. But when Jesus came into the world, he taught that every human being is made in God's image. He also said that he would die equally for everyone which means that all the boxes that we put people in, like whether they're slave or free or male or female or Jew or Greek, that we, we all make these things up. But God doesn't see people like that. God doesn't have favourites based on how good-looking they are, how powerful they are, what gender they are, how intelligent they are. He loves everyone the same. And so these values which human rights came from were placed at the heart of our Western civilization by Jesus. And there's more. Tom Holland writes this. Dignity, which no philosopher had ever taught might be possessed by the stinking, toiling masses, was for all. There was no human existence so wretched, none so despised or vulnerable, that it did not bear witness to the image of God. Divine love for the outcast and the derelict demands that mortals love them too. In other words, God set the example for us to follow in Jesus' life. He loved the slave, the outcast, the sick, the demon-possessed, and the tax collectors. He loved everyone. And because he loves them, he wants us to love everyone too. And I think that's really important to remember at this time in our society, when things are starting to get very divided. God calls us to love everyone. And when that idea became embedded in Western civilization, that's what gave birth to human rights. So... Pretty much everything that we enjoy today came from Jesus, this man who said that he was God and he had come to bless everyone. And he did. I think that's, that's something that you can say is definitely right. 
So where have we got to then? In this question, answering this question, does God even exist? We found that there's a bunch of scientific evidence to say that this world is so incredibly complicated that it's extremely unlikely that it all came about by itself. Which means it's quite reasonable to believe that someone intelligent is responsible for it all. And we've also seen that there was one man called Jesus who claimed that he was that intelligent being. And there's good reason to believe that he was right because his life changed the course of human history and brought about incredible blessings that we still enjoy to this day. But if Jesus is God, where has he gone? <clears throat> and why is the world still in such a mess? And why can't we talk to him face to face? Well, it turns out that Jesus said that God made everyone with the ability to choose to follow him or not. <clears throat> he wants people to choose to love him and follow him, not to be forced into it. Now imagine if we could go and meet God face to face. If we could actually do that, then there wouldn't be any choice to believe in God anymore, would there? We could go, we just go and grab someone, go and see God, say, there he is. You've got to believe in him now, there he is. You're talking to him right now. Where would the choice be? There would be no choice. And that's why God really loves it when people have faith in him, that he exists and that he's good. In fact, the Bible says that, and this is what we read earlier, and without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What is our reward when we seek God? He is our reward. We get him. God is our reward. But there's more. Jesus taught that because God gave us the freedom to choose to follow him, we can also choose not to. Instead of giving ourselves to God, we can choose to demand the right to ourselves and say, I belong to me. By demanding this right, we actually say, I am my own God, and I'm not going to worship anyone else. I'm going to worship me. And it is this demand that is at the heart of what the Bible calls sin. Sin is wanting to live our lives separately from God. And the weird thing about sin is that it can show itself in two ways. <clears throat> the first way it can show itself is actually living to prove that we are actually very nice people and because of that we don't need anyone to save us. So often people can look like they're actually very good people. Well the other option is that people can live to please themselves. And people who live to please themselves can look like horrible people because they end up treating other people very badly. Now when Jesus was in the world, he looked past what people appeared to be on the outside and he looked at their hearts. He looked at whether they were saying, I belong to me or not. And Jesus said that it was because of people saying, I belong to me, that the world is in such a mess. But he also said that he'd come into the world to take upon himself the sin of everyone, and put it away so that every person, no matter what they've done, could be forgiven and become a child of God. And the wonderful news is, although Jesus went back to heaven, which is why we can't see him now, he said he was sent a spirit, his Holy Spirit, who can be everywhere at the same time because he's invisible. And he said that if we ask him to, he would come and make his home in our hearts through his spirit. And he would make us part of his family forever. And it gets better still. Jesus promised that he would never leave nor forsake us. And that after we die and leave this world, we can be with God forever.
So, does God exist? Even though we've looked at a bunch of reasons why he probably does exist, there's only one way to find out. In Psalm 34 verse 8, the Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So today, if you're willing to let the right to yourself go, why don't you taste and see that the Lord is good? How can you do this? I'd like to say, I offer you the idea of giving God one month of your life where you honestly seek him and give him the opportunity to make himself real to you. What have you got to lose? If God's not there, nothing will happen, right? If he is there, you'll be making the greatest decision of your life. So if you're open to doing that, if you're open to, if you're listening to this and you're open to doing that, why don't you pray this prayer after me? Let's pray. God, I'm not sure if you're there, but I really want to know. I want to taste and see that you are good. So please take this next month of my life to make yourself real to me, to show me in a way that I will understand that you are actually there and that you love me. Amen. So if anyone's listening to this message and you prayed that prayer, I'd be really uh, stoked if you got in touch and let me know what happens. So may the Lord bless you all. I hope I answered the question as good as I could uh, and you got something out of that. So let's now go into our breakout groups. Uh, have a great week, everyone. Lovely to see you all. All good.